Hi everybody, Jimmy DeYoung. Welcome to Prophecy Today. I'm here in Albuquerque, New Mexico. This will be my temporary studios for the broadcast. We are here because of a series of radio rallies that we're doing across the southwestern part of the United States, starting in Phoenix last Sunday. We'll end up this Sunday in Phoenix at the Grace Baptist Church in the morning at 10.30 in the evening at 5 o'clock. Love to have you come. By the way, you may tell that the Voice is a little bit hoarse, so I'm going to expect Ken, as we talk with him in just a moment, to have a lot of information to give you, and I'll just try to put in a question here or there. Thank you for putting up with the voice, and we praise the Lord for the opportunity to be in this part of the world. Great reception to the teaching of the Word of God. Ken, thank you so much for being able to make contact with us. Ken is on the road. He's up actually in Vermont, traveled there from Jacksonville, Florida earlier. I don't know how crazy you may be, Ken, traveling from that beautiful weather in Florida to up there in Vermont. What was the reason? Yeah, I don't know, Jimmy. At least you can, you can fly to snow if you're nutty enough to go there in the first place. So that's what we did. <laughs> well, I'm so glad you got there safe and do be safe on those cliffs out there. I don't want you to be hurt. Ken, this program is a special program for Prophecy Today, Holocaust Remembrance. And going on in Jerusalem, a very interesting world forum on the Holocaust. 50 different national leaders from around the world, including the Vice President of the United States, President Vladimir Putin of Russia, Prince Charles coming out of the United Kingdom, first visit to Israel by one of the royals in an official capacity since 1948. They've been discussing how to put a stop to anti-Semitism. Now, I I think as you travel all over this world, you've been able to observe what's going to happen. I'm going to ask you, not for news, not for fact right now, but for your opinion. As you travel this world, as you know what's going on in it, do you think there will be a way to stop anti-Semitism, or is it going to only intensify? Well, I think it's going to intensify, Jimmy, and we've seen this steadily, actually, since the 9-11 attacks. You know, all those years ago. You know, I wrote a book right after that in 2002-2003 called Preachers of Hate, The Muslim War Against America, and it was about Muslim anti-Semitism, which is on the rise. It does not get written about. It is politically incorrect to speak about it, whether you're here in the United States or in places like Sweden, where uh, Muslims are constantly attacking Jews and attacking Christians and the newspapers are not allowed to report about it. The police do not report about it. Uh, in fact, they prosecute people who mention that there might be uh, an Islamic element to an attack. So, yes, I see this is on the rise because Islam is on the rise in Europe, outside of the Muslim world, in Europe and in the United States, and they are doing what Muslims practicing Sharia law do which is that they are attacking Jews and attacking Christians. If they don't attack them violently and physically, they're attacking them in their faith, they're attacking them ideologically, and they're attacking their worldview. Talk to me about the name of that book again. What was the title? Preachers of Hate, Islam and the War on America. And it came out, uh, you know, the first book on political Islam after the 9-11 attacks. And it examined, really, the ideology of al-Qaeda, the Sharia ideology, the Islamic ideology, of al-Qaeda, 
and why in their attack on America they were also attacking Jews and attacking Israel. Because they saw that we were linked in their view, in their worldview. America is linked inextricably with Israel, and uh, they see us really as, as one and the same enemy. And, you know, if you are a believer in the gospel and you understand Jesus it comes out of a Jewish tradition, we can understand that worldview, that they would link us together and attack us together. When they attacked America, they were attacking Israel. At this conference, Ken, Netanyahu urged the world to unite and confront Iran. Do you believe, as I do, Iran is the number one anti-Semitic nation in the world, and they need to be dealt with, especially by the world? Uh, absolutely. You know, as we've talked about so many times, not only are they ideologically driven to fight Christians and Jews, to fight America and to fight Israel, they are also building nuclear weapons to carry this out. And you know this past week they threatened to pull out of the non-proliferation treaty. This is the last sort of restraint, if you wish, on Iran's nuclear weapons program, their membership in the non-proliferation treaty on nuclear weapons. And should they pull out, they would essentially be unleashing this breakout scenario where they would then rush headlong to nuclear weapons, not just capability, but nuclear weapons possession. So we are at a very... uh, a significant turning point now with Iran. Let me change the subject off of the Holocaust, which is a very key, important subject. The rest of the broadcast partners will join with us in the discussion as we continue on today. But let me focus just a moment on Tayyip Erdogan, who is the president for life, I guess, for Turkey. He is really moving out with a bold plan for a new type of Muslim Brotherhood regime to be put up in Libya. Now, he's doing a lot with Libya. I want to find out why, but the Muslim Brotherhood, they're the granddaddy of all terrorist organizations. Why does he want them in Libya? Well, that's right. And we shouldn't forget that. The Muslim Brotherhood is where this all began, right? Al-Qaeda comes out of the Muslim Brotherhood. Uh, Morsi in Egypt comes out of the Muslim Brotherhood. The Arab Spring was all set off by the Muslim Brotherhood, and the Muslim Brotherhood has been supported most recently by primarily two nation-states, Turkey under Erdogan and Qatar. And so you see, surprise, surprise, Turkey and Qatar getting together to support the Muslim Brotherhood in Tripoli, Libya, to bring those Islamist groups, and it's not just the Muslim Brotherhood, in other words, they are not just using the name of the Muslim Brotherhood, but they have many other names as well, Uh, to bring them to make their government, which is supported by the European Union for the time being, to make their government the predominant government in Libya. Now, for now, there are two competing governments, one with General Haftar in Benghazi, and then this one by Prime Minister Siraj in Tripoli, supported by the EU. And the Turks have come to Tripoli to support that government, which has the backing and the inclusion and the participation of the Muslim Brotherhood, including a guy who I've written about in another book on Benghazi called Belhaj, who was one of the uh, masterminds between the attack on Benghazi in 2012. One of the things that you and I have discussed on this broadcast before, Ken, is the desire by Tayyip Erdogan for the purpose of reviving the old Ottoman Empire, and he wants to be the pan-Islamic leader of the world head up that caliphate if it's put in place. What's his interest in Libya? 
I understand that they have some natural gas capabilities, and of course, whoever controls the Mediterranean, which Israel is endeavoring to do at this time as well, they're going to have a leg up and make a lot of money and be able to do pretty much what they want to do in the Islamic world. Is that the main thrust for Erdogan? I think that's very significant and very important. He is hoping to cut off Israel and Egypt from access to that offshore natural gas and oil deposits. He's not going to succeed because he's going to have the rest of the world against him, including the Russians, by the way. So this is where it gets very interesting, where you have Turkey essentially at odds with Russia. But there's something else involved here, Jimmy, and and this goes into what I know that you're going to say in your portion, looking at the book at the end of the broadcast, is that everybody has wondered, how does Turkey come in through Egypt, or how does Egypt come in to the battle against Israel when Egypt has a peace treaty with Israel? Well, guess what? Maybe it's from Libya with Turkish assistance, and they come across the Sinai basically as a terrorist army. So I think Erdogan has got many things in mind. I think he is hoping to put himself on the front line against Israel by being in Libya, and I think he is uh, intending to shore up the Muslim Brotherhood. They have already brought several thousand ISIS fighters from Syria into Libya. Erdogan has recruited those fighters. So I think this is part of a larger scheme, and we've got to very, very definitely keep our eye on this. And you're right, Ken. When I take a look at the book, I'll bring the biblical perspective, and it's all outlined there in God's prophetic word, exactly what we're talking about today. One final thought. Russia is going to play a part in all of this to some extent. They'll be the leader, according to Ezekiel 38. But this week... In Jerusalem was President Putin talking about the Holocaust. Then he went over to Bethlehem to meet with the Palestinians, additional enemies of the Jewish state, all working together today in this world, isn't it? Well, you know, Putin, we've said this many times, he blows hot and cold on Israel, depending on the day and depending on the issue. He does not personally portray himself as being anti-Semitic or anti-Israel, on the contrary, and he has from what we can see, a very good personal relationship with Prime Minister Netanyahu. Russia is playing a two-faced game. You know, they are playing a, a short game to appear to be friendly towards Israel and a long game where they're looking at their long-term strategic interest with countries like Turkey, with countries like Iran, that they have become a strategic ally of. Russia is today a strategic ally of the Islamic State of Iran. So there's these two things going on, the short-term and the long-term with Russia. Folks, if you've been eavesdropping on this conversation, you know why I chase Ken Timmerman all over the world to find him to talk to us about the issues of great importance in this world, current events happening today. And we catch him just about to go on the slopes there in Vermont, but he gave us a great analysis of what's playing out. Hey, by the way, remember that website, kentimmerman.com. That's the location to get any and all of the books by Ken Timmerman. Ken, have a great time this weekend on the slopes. We'll talk again next week, my good friend. Well, thanks, and and God bless, Jimmy. I'm glad to see you're in warmer climes than normal. (laughs) Yes, amen. A lot warmer than Vermont. Thank you, Ken. Hey, we'll talk next week. We're going to have to take a quick break. When we come back, David Dolan's standing by. He has a Middle East news update, more in-depth on what's happening in and around Israel as it relates to the future. That's all ahead, right here 
on Prophecy Today. Prophecy Today is heard all across the USA on the Prophecy Today radio network, but also it is heard around the world through our website at prophecytoday.com. And Jay, there are many other features on our prophecytoday.com website, like daily news updated out of the Middle East as it pertains to what's happening prophetically. Special reports can be heard right on our website at prophecytoday.com. We have Prophecy Q&A available for you. Questions asked in the past can be answered on the website if you just check it out and go to that particular spot. Prophecy Quiz is available, and parts of our Prophecy Today program, if you should miss any part of it, will be heard the next week right here at prophecytoday.com. And don't forget, you can even email your questions to us for our live radio broadcast. Just go to our website at prophecytoday.com. You'll be amazed, you'll be surprised at what you'll find on our website. Be sure to visit us at prophecytoday.com on the World Wide Web. Every believer needs to understand Bible prophecy. Whether you're a novice or a student, we are here to help you. Just visit prophecytoday.com and click on the link for the Prophecy Bookstore. There you will find a large selection of CD sets, DVDs, and books for the Bible prophecy student written by Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and other prominent scholars. While you're there, be sure to check out Dr. DeYoung's latest series called Presidents, Politics, and Prophecy. This series examines how God has used human leaders in general and specifically the last seven U.S. presidents to set the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. This was shot on location in Washington, D.C. and is available on DVD or as a 10-hour audio series on CD. Be sure to check back often for special deals. You can visit prophecytoday.com and click on Bookstore or you can go directly to prophecybookstore.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. Jimmy DeYoung, as I said, here in Temporary Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico. I want to remind you that the voice is a little bit harsh today because of the fact for the last seven days we've been on the road each and every night speaking at a different location as we've traveled here in the southwest from Phoenix all the way over to Albuquerque, going into Gallup and then going back to Phoenix. I'll be in Phoenix all day Sunday. We'll be at the Grace Baptist Church, actually in Scottsdale, Arizona. Come and join us as we study the prophetic word of God. We are doing these tours and across the countryside here, speaking each evening, a radio rally for VCY America. I mentioned we were going to get our Middle East news update from David Dolan, so let's go to David. I would believe that the number one headline, David, has to be that uh, President Trump has invited Prime Minister Netanyahu and his opponent in the electoral activities there in Israel, Benny Gantz, to visit the White House, talk about the peace plan that Donald Trump is going to be presenting within the next couple of days. Quite interesting. Do we know for sure Gantz is going? I heard he may not go. Well, we're not sure exactly about that, Jimmy, but we know the invitation was extended to him as well, and that actually was a suggestion that Prime Minister Netanyahu made to the White House. He said, look, I'm pleased to come. I will come. He's scheduled to be there on Tuesday, and as you say, the plan is to be revealed at least a good portion of it uh, before then. 
And he said, look, if I'm going, it's during an election. There'll be a lot of screaming if my main opponent isn't involved as well. So the invitation was sent to Gantz, but we'll see if he actually does show up. He did say, however, that he will support the annexation of Judea and Samaria, of the Jordan Valley at least, a part of Judea and Samaria, maybe not all the settlements, as the plan will apparently feature. So he's on board on that one, and he politically could come and make that showing. I know you're a newscaster, David, and I know you like to stick with the facts, but I want to ask your opinion, and I've asked it about a peace process many, many times before. What are your thoughts about the Trump peace plan? Is it going to go any place at all or just a big show? Well, Jimmy, if uh, the details that are being published this week in Israel are accurate, it's an extremely pro-Israel plan very pro-Israel, and one that the Palestinians, of course, have already completely rejected and condemned without even knowing all the details. Uh, The White House said that the Palestinians were consulted, but just briefly on it, they were not really part of the negotiations. Uh, Gerald Kirshner, the main uh, representative for the White House, the president's son-in-law, and Avi Berkowitz, who assisted him, they were mostly dealing in the past few months, at least, with other Arab leaders from Saudi Arabia and Kuwait and these other Egypt and other places supposedly has a $50 billion economic component to it, aid from mostly the Gulf states to the Palestinians and others. And the president said this week uh, that it would benefit the Palestinians greatly and the Israelis greatly. And he said it's a good plan. We've been holding on to it because of the ongoing electoral process in Israel that seems to be never-ending. And he said we really want to get it out before we get too heavily into our own political season here in the United States, is what he said. So, uh, Jimmy, uh, the Palestinians totally reject it. The Israelis are thrilled with it. I think the components are basically right. The recognition that Mike Pompeo announced a couple months ago already that the Jewish settlements in Judea and Samaria are now considered legal by the United States government, not as cast by the international community as illegal, and uh, that they are, you know, oppressors and they are occupiers, basically recognizing the Jewish right to live in Judea and Samaria. That, I believe, is uh, just the truth. It's the facts on the ground, and it makes sense to finally recognize that. So overall, I think it's a good plan, but the Palestinians are going to totally reject it, and the Israelis are expecting uh, a step up in violent activity as called for this week by Hamas and Islamic Jihad by Iran and others, Hezbollah in Lebanon, which, by the way, just took over the Lebanese government. Uh, the new Lebanese government was announced. It's almost all Hezbollah-related ministers that connected to them, so they've got full control there. So the Israelis are expecting more trouble, but politically they're pretty happy with it. And I think it is just a recognizing reality. That's one thing that President Trump seems to be uh, pretty good at. A very historic meeting in Bethlehem yesterday. Vladimir Putin, who was in Jerusalem for the World Holocaust Forum, went over three miles from Jerusalem to Bethlehem to meet with the Palestinian leaders, and much of their discussion was about the peace plan. Vladimir Putin wants in on this peace plan. The Palestinians want him instead of Trump. He's even offered the opportunity of an international peace conference in Russia someplace. Very interesting meeting between Putin and the Palestinians. 
Well, Jimmy, and as I've said before, this is the ongoing process of Putin stepping up Russian involvement in the Middle East. And uh, over the past five years, that's been substantial. They're back in their bases fully in Syria. Uh, they are stepping up relations with Egypt and Saudi Arabia and uh, now with the Palestinians. And that's been ongoing, of course, uh, for many years. The Palestinian and the PLO was supported by the former Soviet Union. The late Yasser Arafat was a guest often in Moscow. So this is not a new relationship, but Putin does see an opportunity to step into this vacuum. What the Israelis are saying, Jimmy, is that the key will be how the European Union uh, responds, the European countries respond to this Trump peace plan. If they go along with the Palestinian and Russian rejection of it, basically, then uh, it just won't have a chance probably to go anywhere. If they take a more neutral or even pro-Israel stance, and some countries may do one thing and some another, of course, the European Union being such a large block of different countries, then that will have a different effect. But Putin is back, and he's definitely playing the fiddle uh, with the Palestinians now. And uh, like you say, they reject this peace plan, and they do look for others now to step in, and Russia is the number one candidate. Uh, David, uh, I mentioned just a moment ago about the Holocaust Forum, the World Holocaust Forum that took place in Jerusalem. Over 50 world leaders there. Putin was there, Vice President Pence, Nancy Pelosi representing the United States. Quite interesting, Prince Charles from Great Britain. First time a member of the royal family since 1948 had been into Israel. But they were meeting to deal with the Holocaust, and that is a concern. Anti-Semitism on the rise, looking like there may well be another Holocaust in the future. Your thoughts? Well, we have Iranian leaders nearly every day pledging that there will be another Holocaust, that they will wipe out Israel, destroy its people, drive the Jews out of the region, etc. And, of course, that's echoed by Hezbollah. We had Mahmoud Abbas, the Palestinian Authority leader, say essentially the same thing. You and I talked about it last summer. He made the same statements. So, yes, they are facing the real prospects of this. And, of course, this week is the 75th anniversary of the liberation of Auschwitz by Russian troops mainly, uh, followed later by Americans and others in the, the end of World War II. So an important uh, milestone. But to see these leaders, and as you say, some unprecedented like Prince Charles, I believe, Jimmy, he was in Israel, though, for the funeral of the late Yitzhak Rabin in the mid-90s. Uh, but uh, it was just for the funeral. It wasn't uh, to attend any government meetings or anything like that. So this is the first time that he's come in that capacity uh, or that any royal has come in that capacity, as you say, since Israel's formation. So uh, very important to see all those world leaders. The French president came as well and met with uh, Netanyahu and other leaders. So a show of support uh, from nearly 50 leaders, but there's almost 200 countries on earth, and some of those countries avidly, uh, rabidly anti-Semitic, anti-Jewish, and uh, unfortunately some of them, Iran in particular, building up weapons to do the very thing they're vowing to do. So the Israelis have to not only remember the Holocaust as a past event, but guard against it becoming another future event as well. David, about 20 seconds, if you will, the Halaksa preacher, the Muslim cleric that preaches every Friday, said that Jerusalem will be a capital of the global caliphate very soon. That's an Islamic desire. Just quickly, what are your thoughts? 
Well, again, a lot of parties united to see Israel destroyed. They do not want Jewish control over Al-Quds, as they call it, the holy Palestinian uh, city, the holy Muslim city. And they had, uh, you know, almost exclusive rule on the Temple Mount from the time they conquered it uh, for most of those 15 centuries. So they're very unhappy that uh, the Jews are back. But the Bible said they would be. They're going to stay. It's not going to be the capital of any caliphate, but they are going to keep warring until the end to uh, make that happen. And we know exactly what the Bible has to say about that worldwide kingdom. Not an Islamic worldwide kingdom, but a biblical kingdom headed up by Jesus Christ. Great information on our Middle East news update from you, David. Thank you so very much. We'll talk again next week. And Jimmy, your voice improve, I pray, and God bless, and enjoy your tour. Thank you so very much. Folks, we're going to take a break when we come back. Winky Madad, he is standing by. We're going to discuss this World Holocaust Forum, what did take place. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Have you always wanted to visit the land of Israel? Imagine what it would be like to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. With Joshua Travel, you can visit Israel past, present, and prophetic. The Bible will come alive as you see places like the shepherd's field where our Lord was born, Caesarea Philippi, Cana of Galilee, Capernaum, the Garden of Gethsemane, and the Garden Tomb. You'll even experience an exciting boat ride on the Sea of Galilee. You'll visit each site with Bible in hand as we take the time to not just visit the sites, but to help you understand their importance to our biblical heritage and to our prophetic future. We will place special emphasis on the eternal city of Jerusalem, the most important city in the world, and the place from where Jesus will rule and reign one day. Call Joshua Travel today at 423-821-3635 to find out more about this trip of a lifetime, or you can visit us online at joshuatravel.com. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. Of our broadcast headquarters, the temporary studios I'm talking about, located here in Albuquerque, New Mexico. I'm going to allow Winky Madad, my next broadcast partner, to do most of the talking. Basically, that's what I do anyway. I ask him a question, he takes off, and he gives us great knowledge. Winky has a connection to the media in the state of Israel, political feel as well, and he's just a very interesting man, great historian. We bring him to the table when there's a subject that I think he can do an excellent job on. And Winky, this special edition of Prophecy Today is focusing on the Holocaust and the remembrance of the Holocaust, the dastardly things that took place, six million Jews being killed. Now, in Jerusalem this last week, there was the World Holocaust Forum with some 50 world leaders meeting there in the Holy City. Explain just a moment, if you will, what this World Holocaust Forum is all about and why the importance of these 50 world leaders in attendance. Well, Jimmy, we have several representative Jewish organizations outside the state of Israel, and one of them is led by actually a Russian Jew by the name of Cantor, K-A-N-T-O-R, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, he had an idea, as sometimes in the past we have discussed, in Israel, of course, we have the Holocaust and Heroism Day, which is usually just after the Passover festival, which is usually somewhere in April, 
but then the rest of the world, and in fact the United Nations, has declared the liberation of the main concentration death camp of Auschwitz as another Holocaust remembrance occasion. And that's most important, actually giving you a little bit of behind the scenes for Russia, because it was Russia that liberated the Auschwitz camp on January 21st, if I'm not mistaken, 1945. And, of course, in Israel, there's a large Russian population, relatively speaking. So all these things work together, and somehow this man pulled off, with the help of other people, of course, and the Yad Vashem uh, Holocaust Institute here in Israel. And we had, as you said, almost 50 world leaders from Putin, from Russia, Vice President Pence, Prince Charles, the first time a British Empire royal personality has come on an official visit to Israel since 1948, and presidents and premiers. So it was something. Uh, you're quite familiar with Jerusalem. We had a city that was under siege, traffic-wise. This event actually came propitiously. I, I presume it was planned about a year ago or so, where there's been an upswing in anti-Semitic attacks all across Europe and including the United States. So maybe the hand of God moved in strange ways and brought all this together to highlight an ongoing problem. Too many people think they can still hate Jews and try to do us damage physically, verbally, or otherwise. It's very interesting that the 75th anniversary of the liberation of Auschwitz is uh, taking place at the same time similar events being commemorated. Auschwitz was probably the most horrible of the death camps, was it not? Jimmy, I am sure that too many people listening to this program have a passing reference to the Holocaust and might not know the, all the details, which I can't get into now. You are aware of it. It was an industry, Jimmy, of death and murder. It just wasn't killing. It just wasn't uh, shooting people. There were concentration camps where people were worked until they died. There were people that were taken sometimes straight off the train into the crematoria after being passed through the gas chambers. Gold was stolen. Clothes were taken. Eyeglasses. I, I don't know how many of the people, dear people listening to us have had occasion to go to the Auschwitz Museum. You can see shoes and all sorts of toothbrushes. Tens of thousands have been piled up because the Germans were also trying to gain economic benefit, including gold from, from teeth. This is a huge uh, a matter that human capacity to include is very difficult. And unfortunately, too many people, non-Jewish people, think we're making things up or we're exaggerating or we have some sort of Holocaust complex that really we shouldn't have. This is a good occasion, as any, uh, to encourage people to pick up a book, uh, go on to Google and, and, and look for things to be educated. I've got to tell you, as Judy and I went through Auschwitz there in Poland, tears were in our eyes as we were walking on that property, thinking about remembering what did take place there. Winky, a moment ago, you mentioned the rise in anti-Semitism within the last couple of months, in fact, seemingly getting out of control. Is this meeting, this World Holocaust Forum, going to be any help at all? Well, it was the theme 
that was put up was, of course, remembering the Holocaust and fighting anti-Semitism. Too many people think that little things don't grow up into big things. In Nazi Germany, there was an economic boycott, and then there were laws about who, who could teach in a university. It, it got to the point where you couldn't marry a non-Jew, or a non-Jew couldn't marry a Jew. And it kept on growing until Dachau, uh, which were sort of administrative concentration camps. And then you had the Kristallnacht in, in November 38, when hundreds of synagogues were broken into. And it also wasn't only the Jews, Jimmy. Gypsies and gay people and feeble-minded people also, pardon the expression, were fed into the Nazi death machine. And people ignored this. People, including presidents and, and premiers, and didn't pay enough of attention. And when people perhaps don't have enough religion, don't think that man is worth anything, or they can ignore someone else's troubles until finally it comes to roost. And British troops and French troops and American troops and Russian troops had to go to war eventually because Hitler didn't stop with the Jews and he was intent upon world domination. So we would hope that people have learned the lesson, including the one which Mr. Netanyahu mentioned earlier this week, Iran, which is also seeking, if not a holocaust, Definitely an attempt to eradicate the state of Israel. Winky, the United Nations-sponsored International Holocaust Remembrance Day, taking place this next week, uh, was, in fact, created by the United Nations. I don't know especially if they had the right ideas in focus in their creation of this day. It differs, you mentioned a moment ago, from what happens in Israel on your Holocaust Remembrance Day. I think it's April the 22nd this coming year. Talk to me about the difference between the two, and what do you do there in Israel to remember the Holocaust? Well, Jimmy, I think without getting too complicated, it's easier for the world to say, we liberated the Jews in 1945 by first breaking into the Auschwitz camp and then moving on into Germany. For Jews, and especially Israelis, our Holocaust Day actually comes out at the time when the Warsaw Ghetto Revolt broke out in 1943. We tie it purposely, Jimmy, and I make no excuses or apologies for that, that in the darkest period of the Holocaust, in the center of Warsaw, which, if people do not know, was the, one of the largest Jewish if not the largest Jewish community in Europe, if I'm not mistaken, Jews, not that many, fought the German Nazi troops unbelievably over a long period of time. It actually extended eventually to something like almost a month until it was completely liquidated and most of the ghetto was destroyed. So we see it as an expression that we liberated ourselves by revolting, and if necessary, dying as we fought the German Nazis. For the world, it's, oh, we did the Jews a favor. Five years too late, we liberated them from the concentration camps. Uh, that's the difference, and, I, and I, I hope that people understand that the, the inside and the outside, the interior the exterior of these two different occasions. And it's a very solemn day in the state of Israel, I can guarantee that. Well, it's come forth that the, the Jewish people 
use the phrase never again. In other words, they do not want another Holocaust. Is it really possible never again there will be such a thing as this terrible Holocaust, Winky? Uh, I don't believe so. We have an army. We have an, a capability of economic and political and cultural power. And so uh, the Holocaust, no. Do we, can we stop nations or groups of people trying to kill Jews? Unfortunately, I think there will always be something of that, which means we have to be on our guard, alert, resolute, and capable, with friends helping us, like the United States and other countries, to be as strong as possible to make sure that something like that doesn't even develop, not to even mention occurring. Winky, thank you so very much for taking a moment to explain this to our listening audience, the significance of the liberation of Auschwitz and, of course, the rise of anti-Semitism, this world forum there in Jerusalem with 50 leaders of the world coming together to go after anti-Semitism. So important a subject. I so appreciate what you brought to the table, Winky. Thank you. We'll talk again real soon. Jimmy, thank you very much for having me on. Goodbye to you and our listeners. Well, let's uh, go to the European Union. That is a key region of the world as it relates to Bible prophecy. And the man we have covering this region is John Rood. He lived in Brussels, Belgium over 30 years, knows the European Union like the back of his hand. We always go to him for insight when we have some activities taking place there. John, we've been focusing on the forum, the World Forum on the Holocaust taking place in Jerusalem, Israel. And at that conference, President of France Macron had a meeting with Prime Minister Netanyahu. This conversation centered on Iran and said that uh, France is not going to allow Iran to acquire a nuclear weapon. Now, that's key. What are your thoughts about Macron's decision? Yes, dozens of the world leaders have attended the World Holocaust Forum in Israel, and so the French President Macron has as well uh, met with Prime Minister Netanyahu and made it very clear that Iran will never acquire nuclear weapons, but we need to avoid all military uh, escalations at uh, any cost in the region. So they're continuing to work uh, something out, but uh, notice that France, Britain, and Germany, just uh, last week, they launched this dispute mechanism against Iran to be in violation of the 2015 nuclear pact. So the European Union has been more forceful in this situation, and that's something, as of course, that we've been monitoring as well. Uh, Macron will be meeting with the Palestinian Authority as well. France always believes a two-state solution is the only viable option to end that conflict. But they also have ruled out to recognize an independent Palestinian state because that could escalate more problems in the region. John, we often talk about Brexit. I'm not going to get into that subject. But Israel has just announced that the Israeli United Kingdom are both building a new strategic relationship together. And should the United Kingdom come out of the European Union, that's a pretty good move, would you not say? 
Yes, uh, Israel and the United Kingdom not only building a new strategic relationship, but have signed the first post-Brexit trade agreement with the United Kingdom. So the trade between the two nations has increased 72% from roughly $6 billion in 2012 to $10.5 billion in 2018. And the United Kingdom is now Israel's third largest export market after the United States and China. More than 500 Israeli firms have a physical presence in the United Kingdom, and the sectors are particularly uh, cybersecurity, which we know Israel has the outstanding technology, fintech and healthcare. They've provided, you know, billion dollars into the economy of the United Kingdom. So really, this new strategic relationship is particularly working on the business relationship and the companies that are in the United Kingdom, but it also deals mainly with the cybersecurity and arms supplies as well. So militarily, the two countries are working together. Prime Minister of the United Kingdom, Boris Johnson, is becoming a very outspoken world leader. He told recently Vladimir Putin, president of Russia, there will be no normalization of UK-Russian relationship until the destabling activities end that are being perpetrated by Vladimir Putin. Boris Yeltsin not afraid to stand up to anybody, is he? No, Prime Minister uh, Johnson has taken a strong stand. The European Union has been working with this Libya situation and uh, have hosted a summit in Berlin, particularly for that purpose. And as the world leaders were together there, Prime Minister Johnson as well made sure that uh, Putin understood that the U.K. government certainly continues to condemn the 2018 Salisbury poisoning, which was carried out by uh, two spies working for Russian military intelligence. So they have spoken to, to each other on issues of international security, particularly the situations in Libya, Syria, and Iran. You know, it's pretty interesting, speaking of Libya, that Turkey's president for life, Erdogan, is telling Europe they must get behind Libya's government there in Tripoli. I'm not sure the EU is ready to do that. What are your thoughts? Well, we've mentioned Libya the last few weeks, and there certainly appears to be a downward uh, spiral happening in that region. There's been criticism. What would the European Union do about this situation? But indeed, they've actually hosted the conference in Berlin. So many of the players on both sides were together to discuss, and so Turkey's Prime Minister Erdogan was there as well. He is taking the position which is opposing some of the other backings. Erdogan is joining the forces that are behind the government that is recognized there, but then as well there is a rebel movement from the east, and so countries are split on both sides. You can be sure that nations are jockeying their positions here, the European Union needs to come out with a strong position. It's a different. It's been likened to the situation in Ukraine, but it's different because Libya is in the back door of the European Union. Ukraine was working to be part of the European Union. Libya is not uh, in that situation. But do remember that the Barcelona process nations have the agreement with the EU in the Middle East and North Africa. 
And this is the area that replicates the ancient Roman Empire. So there's a closer approximation and working together in this particular instance. The European Union had even had joint parliamentary sessions with the northern, northern African countries. So this situation in Libya, the EU is in their, back, their backyard, so to speak, and yet it's starting out with a division on both sides. Friends, you understand why we bring to this broadcast table John Rood. He gives us insight into what's going on politically in the European Union. That helps us then to come to a determination as to how politics is setting the stage for prophecy to be fulfilled. Great report, John. Thank you so much. We'll talk again next week. Thank you. Right now, I'm going to bring a good friend of ours here on Prophecy Today to the broadcast table, Sam Rohr. He is the president of the American Pastors Network. He is the host of their national radio and television programs, Stand in the Gap Today, and also a former legislator there in the state of Pennsylvania, serving in the Pennsylvania Senate for a number of years. And because of your political background, Sam, and by the way, I partner with these guys on their program every other Wednesday as I give them a Middle East news update. So I said, you need to reciprocate and help me on my broadcast. So Sam agreed to do that. Your thoughts, first of all, out of the bag, let's talk about the impeachment trial. What are your thoughts about what's going on in Washington? Well, Jimmy, I think it's a... um a travesty in reality, but it's also a depiction of what leaders and so much of a culture, a point to which they can come when God has been rejected, truth has been jettisoned and redefined, as Scripture says, that it will be when a nation rejects God. To, to sit actually and to watch uh, such proven not subjectively evaluated, but objectively evaluated lies and uh, misstatements and clear motives that are not anything related to justice, as we would understand biblical or constitutional justice to be, Jimmy. it It is a travesty from that perspective. And I think, you know, when I look at this, I'm saying, you know what, in reality, in this nation, we have developed really two audiences, one audience that is on a side that looks more like Romans 1, where they have rejected God, rejected truth, gone their own way, and then there's another side that maybe not certainly know, everyone knows the Lord uh, personally, but they have at least a fear of God. And I think everything that we are doing, that we're seeing, are just tending to galvanize people into one side or the other. And uh, it just kind of reminds me of the passages of Scripture talking about one day the Lord's going to come back and separate the goat nations from the sheep nations. Brother, and I, and I think we're seeing that unfold before us. So it's a travesty in one respect, but on the other hand, I think we're also seeing exactly what God says will happen to a nation that walks away from Him. Sam, is this impeachment process, the way it's unfolding there in Washington, actually hurting the office of the presidency for both parties and into the future? I think it's doing what I would say the Marxist-Islamic, the red axis strategy of the deep state, and we're going to use that word because they're really all together on it. Their goal is to produce a, a disunity. Their goal 
is to divide. And I think that it is making the American people, if we look at the, what the numbers are, they're becoming distrusting, uh, even more so, of everyone who's in office. I think it's tarnishing the image of our structure of government, and it is, it is not being healthy, but it's accomplishing, I believe, what their goal is. Well, then, on the other side of that coin, is it going to make it easier to impeach any and all future presidents in either party for any reason at all? What are your thoughts? Well, if the process unfolds where those who have actually stepped aside from the law, disregarded the Constitution, and I'm talking specifically about the Democrat leadership of the House, that's what we're talking about. If that group and others beside them do not face a penalty for their injustice, then, Jimmy, I think then perhaps it does become easier. Right now, the question is whether or not the standard for impeachment, as established by our founders, will be strengthened or will it be further diminished. Right now, it is in the process of being diminished. Depending upon how it comes out, it could make it, in fact, much easier, but it tarnishes and it lowers the standard for the high standards that were put in place by, I think, by our founders in the setting up the framework of this government. There's a very interesting verse over in Revelation chapter 17 and verse 17, where it talks about the Lord putting into the hearts and minds of political leaders to make decisions, political decisions, that will set the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. In other words, the verse ends with saying, so that the will of God may be accomplished. Presidents are those types of people. Other political leaders as well making smaller decisions for smaller areas. But a president, let me just give an example. FDR, when he was in office, the Holocaust, and we're focusing on the Holocaust today on this special edition of Prophecy Today, Holocaust Remembrance. FDR made so many decisions that stopped the Jews trying to flee the Holocaust of Europe and under the Hitler-Nazi regime, so many decisions that would stop the Jews from coming. That was a president making a political decision to set prophecy in place. It's key we get this right, is it not, Sam? Because these men and or women maybe in the future will do that exact thing. They'll make a decision that sets prophecy in place. Well, I think that is happening I, even right now, Jimmy. I think as we see, like I said, the two audiences, you've got a large group of people who have really, because they've walked away from God, they are believing a lie. They are, therefore, more able to believe future lies. And, and once, you've, once you've put aside truth, you can believe lies of all specters. But, you know, I, I'm just sensing, really in my heart, Jimmy, I am sensing that as we are approaching, I think we are approaching the rapture of the Church. I believe that that time is quickly coming upon us. And I see these two groups, those who just really believe a lie and they walk away from it, and we see them in positions of power. We see them exercising their authority. When the, when the rapture occurs, they're already, they're already perfectly primed to believe the words of the Antichrist, and because at that point the Lord will send strong delusion on top of it. But I think we're already seeing this enormous embracing of lies by uh, a very large group of people that maybe maybe half or you know it's 
what depends what the numbers are in this country. And I think you let the rapture occur and take out the believers in this country, Jimmy. And boy, is, is the world really truly set to believe the lies of the Antichrist that comes out of it. I'm saying I can imagine it. I think we're close. I do believe we're close as well. In fact, before this broadcast is over, that rapture may even happen. Hey, Sam, do us a favor, if you will. Give out your website address for American Pastors Network or Stand in the Gap Radio and Television so our people can make contact with you. Absolutely. Glad to do that. AmericanPastorsNetwork.net is our main site, AmericanPastorsNetwork.net or standinthegapmedia.org. Now, standinthegapmedia.org is where all of our archives of our radio and TV programs, plus more, are found on that site. But either one, sure to encourage people to come. And I tell you, Jimmy, let me just tell you publicly and for your listeners, we thank God for you and your ministry and prophecy today, your faithfulness for so long. God has used you and is using you in a wonderful way, and uh, this is the kind of thing that people need to hear, and we're just really, really glad to, to stand with you, brother. Thank you, Sam. So kind words, and I really am so proud to be able to be a part of your organization in a small way as well. And thank you for taking a few moments to be with us. I wanted the political side of what's going on in this world to be focused on as well when we think about the days in which we're living. Hey, buddy, I'll see you on the radio next time. All right. See you later. We're going to take a break. When we come back, I've got David James standing by. All ahead, right here on Prophecy Today. Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung here, Temporary Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Once the broadcast is over, we head to Phoenix. I'm going to be in Scottsdale on this coming Sunday, all day, in the morning, and then in the evening at the Grace Baptist Church. Love to have you come and join us. The concluding radio rallies for the VCY radio rally tour that we're taking. And of course, let me remind you, the old voice starting to give way, but uh, we're trying to make it through the broadcast. Those meetings at Grace Baptist in Scottsdale, 1030 in the morning, 5 o'clock in the afternoon. Let me give you the poll question real quick. The World Forum on the Holocaust took place this week in Jerusalem with over 50 world leaders. They were meeting to discuss how to stop anti-Semitism. Do you believe that the ever-increasing rise of anti-Semitism is setting the stage for a future Holocaust to come? And that will be as foretold in Zechariah chapter 13 and verse 8. Be sure to answer our poll question. It's on my website, prophecytoday.com. We now bring to these microphones David James. David and I have our weekly conversation right here on Prophecy Today weekend for the purpose of looking at an issue that may well be confronting the body of Christ, the church today. And so we have a conversation to help from a biblical perspective, all of us to understand how to get better knowledge, biblical knowledge of the issue, and then walk in the Lord in light of that understanding. David, earlier I was discussing the International Holocaust Remembrance Day with Winky Madad, which was connected to the 75th 
anniversary of the liberation of Auschwitz. And I understand, like Judy and I, you have visited Auschwitz several times. What can you tell us about your impressions of that visit? Well, as many of our listeners know, we were missionaries in Hungary for 16 years, and I think I went to Auschwitz on three different occasions. Uh, Auschwitz is about an eight-hour drive from where we lived in Hungary, and each time I was there, it was an incredibly sobering and, and heartbreaking experience. And actually, the camp is made up of two parts, Auschwitz and Birkenau, with the Birkenau camp separated from Auschwitz by a couple of miles. The Auschwitz camp is largely intact and has also gone through a lot of renovation to restore and preserve it, and it's at this location that you can really get a sense of just how horrible things were for those who were brought in through those gates, from the high barbed wire fencing to the barracks to the massive piles of shoes that were confiscated that are on display, massive piles of hair that was cut off and kept for making clothing and other things. I've been in the gas chambers where incoming Jews were taken under the guise of getting a shower after the long train ride in cattle cars, and then the doors were locked before Zyklon B gas was released. And you can still see the claw marks of fingernails cutting into the solid concrete walls. And, and I've stood in front of the ovens where over uh, one million bodies were burned. And on the other hand, what strikes you about the Birkenau camp is its sheer size. The foundations of the old barracks are about all that remains, but they just go on and on and on. You're speaking about your ministry there in Hungary for a number of years. I'm aware that Hungary had a very tragic connection to Auschwitz and the Holocaust. What can you tell us about that, David? A lot of people may not know this, but the Hungarian Jews almost survived World War II. Uh, Hungary ended up being on the losing side of both World War I and World War II when it allied with Germany both times. And it became obvious that the Hungarians had made a mistake in aligning with Germany in World War II. And when they tried to back out, they became an occupied country, and the occupation was brutal. In the spring of 1944, the Soviet Army started advancing into Hungary along its border with Ukraine in the east, and over the next few months, the Germans started rounding up Jews just ahead of the Red Army, moving from east to west across Hungary, and started shipping them off in cattle cars directly to Auschwitz. Now, prior to the beginning of World War II, there were somewhere between six and 700,000 Jews living in Hungary, and it's estimated that around 550,000 were sent to their deaths in Auschwitz, all in a span of maybe eight to ten weeks, and they were being shipped out so quickly that a separate rail spur was built at Auschwitz to receive the trains just from Hungary alone. And there's another connection for us as a family. My son married a Hungarian girl who got saved at the Word of Life camp at age 15, and they're missionaries in Hungary today. Well, her father is Jewish and survived the Holocaust as a very young boy growing up in the Jewish ghetto in Budapest, and we continue to pray for his salvation. Wow, that is very interesting. We'll be praying as well. David, I'd like to turn our attention now to what the Scriptures have to say about anti-Semitism and the persecution of Jewish people. First, where does the word anti-Semitism come from, and what would be the first example of severe persecution of the Jewish people? 
Well, as everyone knows, God destroyed the world by flood in Noah's day, sparing only him and his family. And, of course, Noah had three sons, Ham, Shem, and Japheth. And the word Semite comes from the word Shem. And so the Semitic peoples are those who trace their ancestry to Shem. Now, of course, the Semitic peoples make up a far larger group than just the Jewish people of today. Uh, But the term anti-Semitism has come to mean, over time, the persecution and prejudice against just the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who are descendants of Shem. And after the judgment at the Tower of Babel and the forced dispersion of the human race, God raised up a new nation that had never existed before, what would become the Jewish people. Now, Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, had 12 sons, and so they became known as the children of Israel. And through a series of events, God used one of those sons, Joseph, to save the Egyptian empire from a devastating seven-year famine. And because of this, the small new nation of Israel moved to Egypt and was in a position of highly favored status. But centuries later, a new king arose in Egypt who knew nothing of Joseph and his family. And because by that time, the nation of Israel had grown to over 2 million people. The Egyptians were afraid that their workforce would join Egypt's enemies and try to overthrow the Egyptian empire, and so they began persecuting the Jews mercilessly. And this was all part of Satan's war against God and God's chosen people, and I would say was the first organized, widespread anti-Semitism and attempted Holocaust against the Jewish people. So, David, let's uh, pick up on that last idea, that this part of Satan's strategy in his war against God and his chosen people is in play. It was then, it is today. And it's not surprising that we find anti-Semitism and persecution of the Jews as a major theme of the Old Testament. You're right, Jimmy, and what we see is that Satan has at least a couple of different strategies. The first is that he incites kings and nations to make war against the nation of Israel, and at least until the coming of Christ, it was to prevent the coming of the Redeemer into the world, the one who would ultimately defeat Satan, as first prophesied in Genesis 3.15. So the Israelites were constantly in danger from the Canaanites, the Philistines, the Amalekites, the Moabites, the Edomites, and, and, and others as well. And yet we see that God would deliver them as they turn to him in repentance and submission. But unfortunately, throughout most of her history, Israel had abandoned her God and turned to foreign idols, which both Moses and Paul tell us was really the worship of demons. And this forms part of Satan's second major strategy, and that is to tempt the Jews into the deepest sins so that God himself would execute judgment against his people. And the two major times this happened in the Old Testament was when God sent in the Assyrians to attack and carry away the northern kingdom in 722 B.C. as a judgment for their idolatry and, and other practices that were against the law that he had given them. And then the Babylonians were sent in to attack and carry away the southern kingdom beginning in 606 B.C., resulting in 70 years of exile. And then, of course, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about an attempt Holocaust against the remaining Jews in Persia uh, after that 70-year captivity through the scheming of an Amalekite named Haman, and of course God sovereignly made sure that that plan was thwarted. Okay, now, David, let's move past the time of the Old Testament. Let's move through the New Testament and throughout history, and in fact, into the future. 
we continue to see this pattern unfolding. That's true. Moving up to the time between the Testaments, the Jewish people were heavily persecuted at the hands of the Greeks, especially under Antiochus Epiphanes, and his name means God Manifest. And he desecrated the temple by sacrificing a pig on an altar to Zeus in 167 B.C., and so he became a sort of foreshadow of the abomination of desolation by the Antichrist, which is yet future, in the middle of Daniel's 70th week, which will begin after the rapture of the church. And then at the time of Christ, Israel was under the iron fist of the Roman Empire, and the religious leaders uh, took advantage of this to execute uh, our Lord and Savior. Uh, Then after a multi-year siege, the Romans under General Titus destroyed Jerusalem and leveled the temple in 70 A.D. Then in the 2nd century, the Romans put down the Bar Kokhba revolt with even more extreme measures than in 70 A.D., resulting in the deaths of close to 600,000 Jews. And a look through history shows an almost nonstop persecution of Jews, whether it be in Italy in the 3rd century or Egypt in the 5th century, multiple times in France and Spain and other countries of Europe over the next 1,000 years. And in fact, a third of the Jewish population of northern France and Germany was massacred in 1096, and there were also massacres in Hungary in that same year. And while the current focus is on the Holocaust of the last century under Nazi Germany, there's an even greater Holocaust ahead under the Antichrist during the Tribulation period. And we know from Zechariah 13.8 that two-thirds of all living Jews will perish, but by God's grace there will be a remnant of one-third who actually comes to faith in the Messiah. David, I like the way you documented the history of what we would refer to today, anti-Semitism against the Jewish people down through the centuries, and then, of course, focusing on the Holocaust and the rise of anti-Semitism today, and how that will result in a future worse Holocaust than has ever happened on this earth, Zechariah 13.8. David, as we wrap it up today, even though anti-Semitism is on the rise around the world, as I've just said, Would you not say that the last thing a Christian should ever want to do is to set himself against the Jewish people? Absolutely, Jimmy. First of all, our Savior is Jewish, from the tribe of Judah, from the lineage of David, and he will rule from the Davidic throne first for a thousand years on this earth and then throughout eternity in the new heavens and new earth. Secondly, in Genesis chapter 12, God made seven promises to Abraham, and one of those promises says that God will bless those who bless you, meaning Abraham, and curse those who curse Abraham, and meaning Abraham and his seed through Isaac and Jacob. The Abrahamic covenant is an eternal, unconditional covenant, and that means that no failure on the part of Abraham or his descendants can remove them from the provisions of the covenant, and so it's still in effect. So the most foolhardy thing that anyone could do is would be to set himself or his nation against the Jewish people as a whole or against individual Jews. And rather, we should look for opportunities to serve and to minister to the Jewish people and stand with the nation of Israel as she is surrounded by enemies that want to destroy her. And this doesn't mean we blindly support every decision or policy made by Israel, but that's different than in intentionally positioning oneself as Israel's enemy. And obviously, 
the greatest gift we can give to the Jewish people is the hope of forgiven sin and eternal life through faith in their Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. And if a Jewish person today, an ethnic Jew, comes to faith in Christ, he will miss that terrible Holocaust to come. He will be taken up as part of the body of Christ to be with the Lord forever. David, you're right on point in this discussion today. I'm so grateful for you being able to do all the research, get the information to us. Judy and I can give testimony, having lived in Israel, in Jerusalem, in fact, a part of every year for the last 29 years. I understand exactly what you're talking about. And by the way, thank you, David. I know that you got pretty sick there in the Philippines. You had to travel home all those hours but you're able to get this together. I appreciate it, buddy. That's going beyond the call of duty. Hope you feel better, man, and we'll have another conversation next week. Thanks, Jimmy. Glad to do it. Talk to you next week. We're going to take a break. When we come back, I'm going to open the Bible. We'll take a look at the book as it relates to all of our reports from our broadcast partners. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hey everyone, this is Dave James with the Alliance for Biblical Integrity. You hear me each week discussing current theological issues with Jimmy DeYoung on the Prophecy Today weekend broadcast. We founded the Alliance for Biblical Integrity because we saw a need for an apologetics and discernment ministry that would be an important resource for local churches, schools, and ministry organizations that face ever-changing theological challenges in today's world. I teach many different courses and seminars in the United States and around the world and can tailor the seminars for Sunday schools, Bible studies, and church services, and the courses for weekend conferences of 6 to 10 hours. For more information, you can go to the ABI website at biblicalintegrity.org. That's one word, biblicalintegrity.org, and click on Courses and Seminars on the main menu. You can also contact me personally through the contact page on the ABI website. I look forward to hearing from you. Have you ever wanted to visit Israel and trace the footsteps of Jesus? With Rick and Jim's VIP trips, you'll see Israel past, present, and prophetic. Our VIP trips are typically smaller groups of 8 to 12 people. This smaller group size allows us to spend more one-on-one time answering your questions and personalizing our tour. It is a very intimate experience. You'll visit each site with Bible in hand as we take the time not to only visit the sites, but to help you understand their importance to our biblical heritage and to our prophetic future. We will place special emphasis on the eternal city of Jerusalem, the most important city in the world, and the place from where Jesus will rule and reign one day. We can also customize our trip for your family or small group. Please call Joshua Travel today and see how we can make your trip extra special. Call 423-821-3635 or visit us online at joshuatravel.com. It's time right now here on Prophecy Today for us to take a look at the book. Today on Prophecy Today, we had some great reports from our broadcast partners These reports key for understanding Bible prophecy, and especially if you're a student of Bible prophecy, will also help each and every one of us to see the urgency of the moment. 
these events that we report and then give a prophetic perspective on helps you to understand exactly what God's time is, how it's moving into the future, and very close to fulfillment. By the way, if you missed any of the reports, go to my website, prophecytoday.com. There, go to PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network. There you can listen to any and all of the reports. And do me a favor, be sure to tell a friend. They need to understand what's happening in our world. It may interest them in Bible prophecy. And if they don't know Jesus Christ, you may have an open door to try to lead them to the Lord. Well, I want to remind you what conversations that I had with my broadcast partners. We were talking with Ken Timmerman, and he had information about what went on in Jerusalem this last week. There was the World Holocaust Forum. This is the fifth event of this type in Jerusalem. Over 50 different world leaders including the Vice President of the United States, Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi, and a number of presidents and prime ministers of other nations. For example, President Putin came from Russia, and he helped us to understand how they approach anti-Semitism in that nation. Prince Charles, coming out of the United Kingdom, May I tell you, this is the first time for an official royal visit. Indeed, since 1948, no member of the royal family there in Great Britain has even visited Israel. Well, in Ken's report, he talked about Prime Minister Netanyahu, who at that world forum called on the world to unite against the nation of Iran. In the Israeli Prime Minister's opinion, Iran is the number one anti-Semitic nation in the world. Now that's evidence when you hear them almost on a daily basis calling for Israel to be wiped off the face of the earth that her name be forgotten forever. That is a part of the precursor for another holocaust to come. What's so interesting, they would be in Jerusalem, 50 leaders of the world, and they were discussing at the table how to stop anti-Semitism. If the world will unite and go against Iran, that would put a major blow on anti-Semitism. You want to know about Iran, they're listed there in Ezekiel chapter 38 and verse 5, where they're mentioned as Persia. This is a part of an alignment of nations that will endeavor to try to wipe Israel off the face of the earth. David Dolan, our Middle East news update came from David, and he reported to us that President Trump is going to present his Middle East peace plan. In fact, he's invited the Prime Minister, Benjamin Netanyahu, and his opposition party leader, Benny Gantz, to meet at the White House next Tuesday so the President can explain to these Israeli leaders what his peace plan is. I would have to say, just on first blush, there's very little chance that it is going to work out. However, when we look a bit into the future, Daniel chapter 9, verse 27 tells us that there will be a major personality in the seven-year tribulation period. We will refer to him as the Antichrist, and he will come on the scene. He will confirm three peace treaties already on the table, not working, never normalized, 
And when he confirms them, that will mean they're strengthened, they're ready. That starts the clock ticking on the seven-year tribulation period. Winky Madad talked about the 50 world leaders in Jerusalem discussing the Holocaust. So interesting that these 50 world leaders would gather in the city of Jerusalem, making this known to the rest of the world. You know, Jerusalem is key in all of Bible prophecy. It is a major component. The city is mentioned 764 times in the Bible, and it will be the location where Jesus Christ will come back to there, build a temple, and rule and reign forever. These 50 world leaders in Jerusalem the last couple of days in an effort to see how they can fight anti-Semitism, stop the killing of Jewish people. But again, in the future, there is going to be another Holocaust, worse than the one in World War II. Zechariah 13.8 says that two out of every three Jews in the seven-year tribulation period will be killed. Revelation chapter 12, verses 7 to 17, talks about an angelic war which will ultimately end up with the evil angels thrown to the earth and at that particular time in the tribulation period, these evil angels will try to kill all the Jews, which would stop Jesus Christ from fulfilling all of the promises to the Jewish people. John Rood reported on the European Union for us that's key because the European Union today is at least the infrastructure for the revived Roman Empire, which will be another major player in the tribulation. Sam Rohr, who is president of the American Pastors Network, I asked Sam about the impeachment process going on, his observations coming from a political background, and then we talked about Revelation chapter 17 and verse 17, which says the Lord will put into the hearts and minds of political leaders to accomplish his will by the political decisions that they make today. And David James and I had our weekly conversation in light of the special edition of Prophecy Today, Holocaust Remembrance. It is key that you understand how bad that situation was back in World War II. David visited several times Auschwitz, which is located in Poland. It was a death camp used by the Nazis, and it speaks of the evil that can be in this world, which will be in the future. Well, friends, if you've been listening to what I had to say, what the broadcast partners brought to the table, you have to understand we are living in a time which the Bible told us about. The prophetic passages and God's Word speaking on each and every one of the subjects that my broadcast partners covered, indicating that the next event, the rapture of the church, is about to happen. And having said that, in reality, there's nothing left for me to say except... Let's keep looking up until... Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today. 